Welcome to the Princeton Evangelical Free Church Podcast. I'm John Padno, the lead pastor here at PEFC, where it is our desire to equip people to grow together in Christ. Our hope is that this podcast is a help and an encouragement to you this week. May God bless you as you listen. Good morning once again, church. For those of you who may be new here, my name is John Panod. I'm the senior pastor here at Princeton Evangelical Free Church, and it's an honor and privilege to be with you. It's an honor and privilege to be able to open up the Word of God and to dive in. We are kicking off a brand new series, so if you would open up your Bibles to the book of Acts. Open up your Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to go through some heady, big theological things. We're going to get down into the nitty-gritty and put some flesh and blood into some ideas that we kind of pull from the book of Acts. Uh, But isn't it great that the story of the life and work of Jesus doesn't end with the cross? Right. This is a two-parter. Luke writes not only the gospel according to Luke, but he also gives us the book of Acts. Because the story doesn't end with the cross, doesn't end with the grave, but it continues on. Even today, we are a part of that ever-growing and expanding kingdom of God that we will take a look at in the book of Acts. As we come together this morning, I have a question to ask you, and that is this. Have you ever lived in a time of uncertainty? Have you ever lived in uncertainty? Maybe uncertainty in terms of a decision about your future. Maybe you have lived in a troubling and uncomfortable circumstance that you didn't quite know the way forward to. That seems like a pretty human experience, right? On this side of the fall and on this side of heaven. Maybe you've lived in a time of uncertainty with your own health. You know, as I grow older, sometimes I feel a pain or a soreness, and I think, okay, Lord, is this going to be it? This is what's going to take me down? Some of you have been uh, sick enough and in a hospital bed that you thought maybe you were never going to leave from. I have a, a grandmother who is tough as nails. She's been on hospice for over a year with cancer, and really from one day to the next, we don't know what sort of condition she'll be in. Have you ever lived in uncertainty with your status, whether it's your current job or your maybe relationship status, uncertainty in your singleness, uncertainty in your dating life, uncertainty in your marriage, or even uncertainty in being a widower or a widow? We're going to glean a little bit from scripture on what does it look like to live in a time of uncertainty? Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you as a people who desperately need you to show up. As a people who desperately need to receive revelation that can only come from you. We live in this story that for much of it is sort of a mystery that you are unfolding for us. And yet even in uncertainty, there are And is a certainty. There is a stable, firm foundation. And that is you. That is your word. 
That is your promises. So, Father God, we come to you and just pray that you would uh, impress upon our hearts the truth that we need to walk away with this morning. Father God, as we come to this new fall season, we too uh, just lift up all of our teachers and administrators to you, Lord. Our teachers and administrators in the public schools, uh, but as well as we think of the teachers in the private sector, in the private schools, and as well as those teachers who are homeschooling as well. We pray that you would give them wisdom and grace as they not only uh, give away information, but they too begin to shape and form hearts and minds. We pray these things in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. We're going to start with this first chapter here, waiting on the promise, waiting on the promises of God. And Luke tells us here in verse 1, look at it with me. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. This was why he wrote the gospel. But until the day when he was taken up and after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, the Lord Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise, everyone say the promise, of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. One major theme that Luke wants us to know, a theological theme, is that there is now the inauguration of the new covenant, that the old has now given way to the new. And so things, although there's going to be similarities, there's also going to be differences. One of them is going to be the work and the role of the Holy Spirit. And we'll get into a little bit more of that next week. But he says something interesting that we will be baptized, not with water, but we are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is a sign that the new covenant has come. Now, what was an outward sign of an inward covenant that we find in the Old Testament? Meaning the people of God were a covenant people with the Lord. And with that covenant, they expressed that outwardly through something called circumcision, right? Now, what we see in the New Testament is that there is still a people, a covenant people of God, and they have this outward symbol and sign, which is going to be baptism. We read about this in the prophet Jeremiah, who said this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took uh, them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And furthermore, in Galatians we read, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise, numbering the sand of the seashore. Now, Jesus commands them to stay in Jerusalem. 
Why? Don't they have an important message to go and tell the world about? Why must they stay in Jerusalem? Well, we kind of know the answer, right? They don't have the Holy Spirit yet. They have not yet been baptized or have the infilling of the Holy Spirit that equips them as messengers of the gospel, that equips them, as we'll look, as witnesses. And so this is going to kind of take a little bit of a shape of its own through the weeks, but we must think to ourselves, what does it mean to be a witness? If it requires the work of the Holy Spirit, what does it mean to be a witness then of the good news of Christ? As I think about an effective witness, and most of the time we think about it uh, where in court or something of the sort. But an effective witness has a message, but they have also been changed themselves by the content of that message. Let me say it a little bit more clearly. A, A witness of an event, positive or negative, is affected not just in the story that they share, but as they share the story, you can visibly see the effects in part that it has on that individual. Many of you know a person who, when they share a story, for instance, like a funny story about something that happened to somebody else, they can barely get through the story because they are belly laughing so uncontrollably and you can't even coherently make out what exactly they saw and witnessed. That is the kind of an effect that a witness, a effective witness has. If the witness is effective, it has the message of Jesus and an explanation of how Jesus changed them. And so as we begin to see examples of that, many different examples and expressions of this, a question we must ask ourselves is, are we an effective witness? What are we missing? The content or the changed life? As we know, Jesus is spending time with his apostles, but that time is going to be short because another counselor of the same kind will come. And here we come to Jesus' ascension. It says in verse 6, look at it with me. So when they had come together, they asked, Jesus, because they understood their Old Testament, they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? You see, this is another theological theme that Luke wants us to be aware of, is that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament and his promises. But Jesus said to them in this moment, it is not for you to know the time or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We've heard these words before, have we not? The Great Commission. Again, reiterated. And this is a preview of the story, is it not? Will they, in fact, by the end of the book of Acts, be witnesses of Christ in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and even the ends of the earth? I guess you'll have to stay tuned to find out. 
And it says this, when Jesus had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And they said, hey, men of Galilee, why are you still staring up at heaven with, I'm sure, a puzzled look of uncertainty of what was going to happen next. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, he will come back in the same way, in the same likeness, in the same manner that you saw him go up into heaven. I can almost picture this scene in my mind, can't you? I mean, we would be dumbfounded, awestruck, just looking up and thinking, what is going to happen next? And then out of nowhere, it's sort of like, ooh, two men have to bring you back into this reality of life. This is known as the ascension. This is important to the work of Jesus as Messiah. This is an important doctrine for us to know and for us to understand because without the ascension, we would not know that Christ is presently Lord, exalted on high, and ruling from the right hand of the Father. Without the ascension, we would not know that we have a mediator who is a superior high priest that intercedes on our behalf. If Jesus had not ascended into heaven, we would not know that we have an ultimate judge who will bring true justice and true peace. When Jesus was on the earth, was he here to judge the world? No, but that through him the world might be saved. Uh, but have you ever read that bumper sticker that says, only God can judge me? Anybody? I wonder if they know that that judge will be Jesus that they meet, who will judge them. You see, beloved, we live by faith and trust in Christ with the ever-present knowledge that our King will come back and He will establish His kingdom forever. We live by faith and trust in Christ with the ever-present knowledge that our King will come back again and He could come back at any moment, in any minute. Just like he went up, he could come down, right? Unexpectedly, and we would all be dumbfounded thinking, how marvelous is this? But you want to know the trickier question in this. My wife doesn't like it when I ask her this question, but she expects it every week. How? The question is how? You want to put some flesh and blood and bones to this? Ask yourselves this week, how do I live my life with an expectancy that Jesus could come back at any moment? How do I do this? We don't have time to get into that this morning. We see the church gathering and waiting in an upper room in a sort of uncertainty. After they see Jesus going to heaven, it says in verse 12, look at it with me, that they return to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up into this upper room. Now, 
maybe not the same upper room that they had the last supper in. Uh, when I was in Jerusalem, we went into the location of the upper room that used to be there that was destroyed. And I don't have a lot of pictures because, frankly, it's just any old upper room at that point in time. But uh, that room was about the size of this room, maybe a little bit bigger. So think about that, the gathering, and as we think about uh, those believers meeting in an upper room, it's not necessarily this cramped, maybe cabin space that we maybe uh, think about in our mind's eye. But who is meeting there? When they had entered, they went up into the upper room. They were staying Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, that is the terrorist, and Judas, the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. You know, I used to think that they maybe defaulted to go into the upper room because they really didn't know what to do. But really, they come together in prayer, and this is a preparation for what was about to go down. That it is, this prayer is actually preparing them for the Holy Spirit. That in this prayer, I'm sure they're praying for the Holy Spirit to come. They're praying to be baptized. They're praying to be prepared as witnesses to go even to the ends of the earth with the gospel. And who's here? There's the motley crew, which is the disciples. But who else is praying to the Lord Jesus? His mother Mary is praying to him because he is a mediator. There's only one mediator between God and man, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only his mother is praying to him, but also his brothers, who, if we remember, were not thrilled when he said he was the Messiah. Who knew? Right? Your brother tells you he's the Messiah. What's your reaction going to be? But here they are, in one accord, in unison with the church, praying, preparing, being prepared. There's no bishop, there's no district, there's regular believers from various walks of life who have surrendered their life to Jesus and trusted in his continual work. They're of the same mind, spiritual unity, not just structural Unity, comfortable unity. In such a time of uncertainty, we see uh, that they do have something that they can be very certain in and that they can trust in. And that is what? They have the word of God. It says, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, right? Peter's still reading his Bible. The word of God is still relevant. His promises are still true. They do, in fact, have some certainty of how to move forward as they are waiting for the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and he was allotted his share in ministry. This is a third major theological theme that Luke wants us to know is that the New Testament 
is a fulfillment of the Old Testament. We read from the Psalm, two Psalms of David, for it is written in the book of Psalms, verse 20, look at it with me. May his camp become desolate and let there be no one who dwell in it and furthermore let another take his office. That is to say that as Peter looks back at the Old Testament, he says, just as it was with David and his enemies, so it will be with the one who betrayed the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they must fulfill this vacant spot in ministry. One of the men who had accompanied us all during the time that the Lord Jesus went in and amount among us, these are the qualifications he must fulfill. He must have been with them beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness, everyone say a witness, to his resurrection. And they put forward two men, Joseph called uh, Barsabas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, O Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in the ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they did something that they will never do again when the Holy Spirit comes. They cast lots. The lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the 11 apostles. You see, beloved, when we have uncertainty around us, we do have some certainty in life. We have certainty in the scriptures being wholly true in all that they tell us about who God is, in all that they tell us about his story and his promises for our life. We have a certainty in that we have a Holy Spirit. We have an advocate. We have a counselor. We have a paraclete that fills all those roles in our life. We have certainty because we have a group of believers that we can hide away with and pray with. It's called the church, the people of God. We have certainty in that we can pray to the knower of hearts. And just like the beginning of the book of Acts, and Jesus ascends into heaven. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. The question is then, now what? Now what? The fourth theological theme that Luke wants us to know, and he's going to unveil for us as the weeks go on, is that God is sovereign in building his church. And what the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. Resting in the sovereignty of God. What do we mean when we say that God is sovereign? We talked a little bit about that with prayer last week. To be sovereign means that you have supreme power or authority. Kings are considered sovereign rulers over their nation. The United States is considered a sovereign nation because it governs and rules itself apart from any other foreign power or authority. Sorry, Russia. Right? God is the supreme sovereign because he is creator and sustainer of all things. He is ruler over all the cosmos and over all living things, seen and unseen. 
He is sovereign over the affairs of mankind, including rulers and authorities. It says here in Proverbs, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Does anyone know of an authority, kids, in Scripture? Does anyone know about this guy named Pharaoh? Oh, yeah. They know. God is also sovereign over our salvation, sanctification, and glorification. Romans says that those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So as we begin to wrap up this morning, how can I, in times of uncertainty, find certainty in God's sovereignty? How can I, in times of uncertainty, find certainty in God's sovereignty? The Heidelberg Catechism says that God watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. So let's get a little bit more practical here. How does God's sovereignty give me certainty when I need to make decisions, either big or small? So first of all, we must come to this fact that we live in a broken world. Amen? We live in a broken world. We live in a sinful world. And because we live in a broken and sinful world, we are learning how to hear and follow Jesus. And we're learning how to hear the Holy Spirit inside of us. Amen? The relationship was broken. We're coming back into relationship with God. If that isn't enough, that we're trying to learn what it is to be God followers, we also have all these false gods. We have these false motivations. We have these false desires that try to interfere and pull us away from following God. Anybody have those? Only me. Okay. So how does God's sovereignty help us when I have a big or small decision to make? In light of God's sovereignty, he says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. In other other words, God does a great job at making it so we cannot move forward until it is his planning and his timing. Amen. God cares about your decision. He cares about your future. In fact, his father's heart makes it so that he cares for those things and about those things even more than you do. Any fathers in the room, right? Get even more anxious and uh, caught up in your child's decisions than even they seem to. That's the Father's heart for us. Which means that God will not just use the outcome of the decision, but God is going to use the decision-making process to shape and transform your heart to be in the best place possible, and that is surrendered to Him. Beloved, the best decision you can make is not this job or that job. The best decision you can make is not this school or that school. The best decision you can make is not this spouse or relationship or that. But the best decision you can make with all that you know is to be surrendered to God wholly. 
and let God lead and take care of the rest. What about the sovereignty of God in sickness? Again, we live in a sinful and a broken world. With sin came sickness, death, and injustice. Sometimes these things are one and the same. That is, sickness and death come because of injustice. But sometimes these are individually the reality that we live in on this side of heaven. We read in 2 Corinthians, For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we shall share abundantly in comfort too. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, for the affliction we experienced in Asia. Paul says, We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who, in fact, raises the dead. That is to say, in the sovereignty of God over all these things, uh, will we all, unless Jesus returns, just as he came, or just as he went into heaven, we will all die. I don't mean to be a downer this morning. There's only one way out. But did Christ's sufferings bring about the glory of God? They absolutely did. And so then will ours too. Whether our sickness leads to death in light of the sovereignty of God, we can see our physical affliction be used as a tool to help us to be more dependent on God and to find true comfort. In fact, Our physical affliction can be used as a tool to allow others around us to see God and his sovereignty. So we've gone to decisions, sickness, now status. We live in a broken and sinful world. Are you sick of me saying that? We live in a broken and sinful world. And what is the message that the world is bombarding you with, Christian? You are defeated, you are hopeless, and you have no reason for being here or purpose whatsoever. That's the message that I hear, at least. Is that really the message we have, Christian? In God and his sovereignty, he says this, the God of all grace who has called you, 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 you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you, Christian. So those who have felt defeated in their work, you can be restored and confirmed to a better work, an eternal work that has been finished on the cross, which we are partakers and benefactors of. Those of you that have felt hopelessness in your singleness, those of you who have felt hopelessness in your marriage, those of you who have felt hopeless as a widow or a widower, the truth of God is that you can be strengthened to be who God has called you to be in this season of life. 
God's hope and promise for you is to establish you with an identity that cannot be taken away by death. And that identity is in Christ. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for who you are and that your sovereignty is just one attribute of many that are all in this beautiful harmony together. Your love, your justice, your mercy, your grace, and it goes on and on. And all of them are working in harmony together, creating this beautiful melody that we sing about. So, Father God, as we continue to live in, one sense, a mystery, right? Because we can't know the future. We shouldn't know the future. But you do. And you are in control of that future. And so with all that we know, which isn't much, let us do the only right and good and natural thing, and that is surrender wholly to you, the God of the universe who supremely rules over all. And let us find joy in that surrender, away from anxiety, away from the stress that uncertainty tries to bring upon us, the weight that our shoulders, simply put, we're not meant to handle. And let us walk with certainty with the promises and truth that are only found in you. Father God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this people of God that you have brought here today. And I thank you that you're going to continue to build us as a people. We're going to continue to grow in you. And it's going to be beautiful. We pray these things in the holy and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. And consider subscribing and sharing with others. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please go to PrincetonFree.com. God bless.